the Slate Spoiler Specials. I'm Sam Adams, the senior editor at Slate, and today I'm joined by fellow senior editor Rebecca Onion. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for having me for this fancy occasion. Today we are spoiling the season one finale of House of the Dragon entitled The Black Queen. Uh, We will also be discussing the season as a whole a little bit towards the end. Um, But let us jump right into this, Rebecca. Last week on the ninth episode, we spent really for the first time the entirety of the episode with sort of one side of what we know is going to be this sort of upcoming civil war, the Greens, um, Allison Hightower and co at King's Landing. And this episode is pretty much the reverse of that. We spend almost all our time in Dragonstone with uh, Damon and Rhaenyra et al. So let's let's talk about how we get into this. Our first scene is Rhaenyra talking to her young 13-year-old son, Lucerus, about uh, his impending or possible inheritance of uh, Driftmark. You've read the books, um, which I have not, mm-hmm. so you kind of know everything that's going to happen here. I've peaked the Wikipedia. If they stick um, to it. Yes, yeah, if they yes stick we'll to see. It, but yeah. but what, what did you think of this um, setup here, maybe having a sense of where this was all going? Oh my God, a poor Luke. <laughs> he just was doomed. I feel like in Westeros in general, when some or a preteen is anxious, it's just like not going to work out for them, probably. Like the this show, I feel like sort of shares the ethics of uh, Westeros in that way. Like if someone is a little bit shy or like a not prepared to exercise dominance, it's like a, it's curtains for them. And so I knew that he was going to die at the end of this, <laughs> unless the show took a dramatically different turn from what happened in the book, which it chose not to. Yeah, he's um, given off like pretty serious Rickon Stark vibes in this. Yes. yes, vulnerability, which is yes. never good. Not yes. a desirable quality in this particular world. So Rhaenyra's little spiel to her child is interrupted by the arrival of Renice, um, the queen who never was, who has just come back from King's Landing on Dragon's Back, immediately requests an audience with Rhaenyra and her husband, Damon. Uh, and what, what does she tell them, Rebecca? Uh, your dad slash brother is dead and it is on. So Renice has the sort of interesting task where she has to both break this news and then also immediately explain how she got to be there, like how she escaped. Damon immediately gets that she had the chance to kill all of these traitors as Damon perceives it and did not do it. And so Damon immediately is like a little bit suspicious and Rhaenyra is just like, uh, this is not good. And she immediately starts to feel pains of the real variety. Um, She's, I think, maybe like five months pregnant or six months pregnant or something. And she starts to really start to feel cramping. Does it seem like Renice's account of what went on at King's Landing is a little bit sort of slanted in her favor? She says that Alicent basically imprisoned her, tried to coerce her into joining forces with her. Then she, you know, managed to make a daring escape uh, Damon immediately assumes that Viserys, despite the fact that the last time he saw him, one of his eyes was out, he's like, oh, he must have been killed. And Renisha says, well, I don't know how he died. Letting them assume the worst, if not encouraging them to do so. Assume the worst about the Greens. Yes. 
I get why you're saying that. And I, it, it's, it's also, um, it's interesting because later on, it, well, we'll get there, but later on, it sort of comes to seem that Renice doesn't actually sort of know where she wants to come down or who she wants to ally with. Although I think by the end of the episode, she's figured it out, but she's like not entirely sure how to play this. And part of me wonders if she's just kind of like trying to hedge it a little bit, like see how things are going to develop. I, I don't know. Maybe she is plotting. She's an interesting character because Allison's sort of offer to her uh, last week was basically, look, like, we know you both should have been queen. I can't make you queen or king or anything now. I can't ascend the throne either, but we can sort of collab to exercise power from behind the throne the way women do. Um, mm. And Renice is like, yeah, no, I've already done this my whole life. I don't think I want to do that anymore, especially not with you. She doesn't see any outcome of this where she is going to end up getting what she wants, what she should have had. So she's kind of trying to ally herself, but also it seems eventually kind of coming to the conclusion that really, you know, there's no reason to kind of put herself out there in this particular struggle. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we find out later on in the episode that her husband is actually alive, which I sort of had guessed would happen. If he was completely dead, then I feel like things would just be boring on the Valerian side. So for a while, I sort of thought that she was hedging her bets because she was waiting for him to find out what he thought or like she didn't want to kind of choose one side or the other without consulting him. Um, but it turns out we see in this episode that she's actually pretty mad at him. I think rightly <laughs> for leaving and being gone for six years right after she, both of her children were killed. But I think she still has some sort of loyalty to his word or loyalty to the idea of him as like a decider. Uh, and I'm not sure that she would want to come down on one side or the other without asking him. Right. Right. Okay. So, Basically, this news arrives yeah. for Nira, not surprisingly, pretty pissed off, having some sort of, you know, belly pains, pregnancy difficulties. Damon immediately is like, well, yeah, it's wartime. Let's go. First sort of making plans just to sort of defensively, because he's like, well, you know, you look at our our combined forces here in Dragonstone. And we have like, I think he says like 30 knights and 300 men at arms. Yeah. Which is obviously 300 pathetic. men with crossbows. Which is That's obviously right. like kind of pathetic um, when it yeah. comes to the resources of King's Landing um, and all the houses who are likely to sort of be immediately loyal to whoever has been placed on the Iron Throne. But of course, they have dragons, and uh, mm -hmm. they have they have more dragons than the other side, even though they have them. Rhaenyra sort of pushes back here and says, uh, "Look, I don't want to be Queen of the Ashes." So she is pressing for peace, and it's interesting, you know, to have. That's a word that Allison used in the last episode as well in her pitch to uh, Renice. You know, look, there can be peace in the realm. And that was what, what Viserys yeah. wanted, too. And he was not very sort of strong or effective. I mean, he kind of kept the peace in the sense that, you know, there weren't any, like, big wars. But he mostly did it by kind yeah. of backing down and staying out of stuff and not really proactively protecting it long term. I feel like he gets a bad rap as a leader a little bit because I feel like the idea is that he does end up you know, reigning over a period of time when there's not war, which is good for a king, in my opinion. But yes. he set up this fucked up situation, like 100%. And so the question is, is Rhaenyra going to be more of a Viserys kind of king or more of a Daemon kind of king? There's a sort of deliberate irony here in that as these things are starting to come to a head and the sort of the first 
matter of business is they have this really awesome kind of glowy light up table in Dragonstone. Oh my God. Um, I love that table. It is the most, <laughs> they call it the painted table, right? Um, yeah. But it's, you know, they sort of put all these candles underneath it and it lights up and all the um, various houses and landmarks kind of glow this lovely dragon red from underneath. And so they're sort of taking stock of, you know, which houses are theirs, which houses are the other sides, which can be possibly swayed in, in one direction or the other. And the conclusion they, they come to is that, you know, they don't really like sort of have the goods right now. Maybe if they get a few more houses on their side, there can be an even even match. But this is certainly not something that's going to be decided quickly if there is an actual war. And she at least yeah. considers, she says for a moment, like, you know, what is what's the purpose of a queen? Um, still talking her, of herself that way, even though she has not been formally crowned and, in fact, has had her her throne usurped from her. The purpose of the queen is to sort of keep the peace in the realm. And if that means maybe my giving up my title so that there's not this war, maybe I need to do that. And I, I think it's um, <laughs> ironic that, I mean, that is the closest thing to sort of the, the platonic ideal of like leaderly temperament that I think anyone mm-hmm. has demonstrated in all 10 hours of the show so far. Yeah, it's interesting because why didn't she think about that before? Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess this, it, there wouldn't be a very good show without it. But the fact that like this entire time, she could have backed down anytime. You know what I mean? I guess she didn't know that they were going to usurp her 100%, but surely she could have guessed. What with Otto Hightower, like pulling the strings around Allison and the existence of uh, Aegon the Younger and all this. I think she could have guessed it and could have just backed down a while ago. Well, she and Allison are maybe a little guilty of kind of believing the best in people or believing that because mm. the king, you know, Viserys announced the succession, he had all these people, all the lords sort of swear to it and acknowledge it yeah. publicly. And it seemed like that would be enough. And then Allison is, you know, taken by surprise when she thinks that Viserys kind of on his deathbed has changed his mind and named their son Aegon to the throne instead. The whole misunderstanding there, he's talking about the prophecy of a different Aegon, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, But she at least believes sincerely that he changed his mind and the king's word is what goes, no matter how close to death he was when he gave it, takes Mm -hmm. us to the small council. And her dad's like, oh yeah, we were already doing that. It's nice that the king said that, but we were going to do that anyway. And she's like, what? You know, does a little like you know, Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone face. And not only all that, but she also believes that her older son, that what does Damon call him in this episode, a drunken cunt of a <laughs> of a king? Like he's just a tor. He's never shown like any promise that we've seen. And she yes. believes in him somehow. So things are heating up here as we near the end of the season. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take a break. I have a special announcement for you today. For a limited time, you can get six months of Slate Plus for just $29. That's 50% off. As a member, you'll get no ads on any of our podcasts, unlimited reading on the Slate site, and member-exclusive episodes and segments from other shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, and the Political Gab Fest. Slate's podcasts cover major news events, from elections to social issues to historic court decisions. Our shows also discuss what makes a song a smash— analyze what's going viral, and decode cultural mysteries. If we've become a part of your listening routines, we ask that you support our work by joining Slate Plus. Sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash spoiler plus to access all Slate's content and support our work. Again, that's just $29 for six months through October 28th. So sign up now at slate.com slash spoiler plus. And we're back. So, Rebecca, things are heating up. Getting yep. into the end game here. Um, but first, we have the little matter of Renewer's pregnancy to discuss. Uh, um, oh would, would you like to tell our listeners what happens next? Okay, so when she gets the news of Aegon's ascension and the usurpation, 
she basically seems like she goes into an early and very painful labor. So this is her sixth birth. Uh, her birth attendants are all like, what is the problem? Like you've done this so many times, I, and, but yet this is like the worst one by far. She's going through this painful labor as the the sort of the men are in the uh, the throne room talking about what's going to happen next. So you see them talking about what's going to happen. And then she's like screaming <laughs> and like moaning in the background. Eventually the, the child comes out and um, I can't tell what the deal is with it. It's a girl and it's you know, obviously very premature. It's dead when it comes out. Yes, exactly what's going on here. I don't know, but this baby comes out um, looking awful weird and like it was not going to make it regardless of whether or not Rhaenyra had gotten bad news on this particular day or not. But in any case, uh, things are not going real well for her and they uh, do not improve. Um, Otto Hightower shows up with a delegation from King's Landing, basically saying, hey, I just thought I'd come here and give you the choice to like swear allegiance to the new king and give up your claim to the throne. But in any case, that doesn't work. Damon offers to take his head off immediately. Um, <laughs> Renier decides that might not be the best idea. Um, so she says they will have her answer upon the morrow. But the answer, as of course we know, is going to be no. They realize this is the time to kind of shore up their alliances. Um, they do find out that the Corliss, who has been MIA for six years, has actually accomplished more than like anyone else in the entire history of yes. the show and somehow managed to secure the Stepstones. This is where the battle with the crab feeder was back in the first few episodes. Uh, Damon did cut that dude in half, but somehow did not actually manage to occupy the land and overthrow the triarchy. So it just kind of went back to you know, whoever is ruling it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But Corliss has taken control of it. That means he basically owns nearly all the shipping lanes in, into King's Landing, um, which means we're probably going to get some siege warfare next season, which is not something this universe on TV has shown us before. But there's yeah. still a few houses short. So Rhaenyra comes up with the idea to send emissaries to these houses. Someone comes up with the bright idea that wouldn't it be more impressive if we sent like your sons on Dragonback? That'll be much more persuasive. So they are sent. Um, Jace is sent off to you know, I think like three different kingdoms is the north. She's like, look, just go to Storm's End. Um, the Baratheons have already sworn an oath to us. You just got to remind them that they swore that oath. Um, mm -hmm. He's a proud man. So the, the Boris Baratheon is a very proud man. So he'll be like super impressed that you are like showing up in a dragon. Um, mm -hmm. We'll just be like kissing your feet. And that'll be that. Um, uh -huh. so just go do this easy thing by a little 13 year old son. Uh, come back and we'll all be good. That's not what happens. He gets to Storm's End and it's stormy. As soon as he comes into the courtyard, he sees that there is a giant or dragon parked there. And that is Vagar. And so he's, he sees it and he knows Aemon's here. And he goes in and indeed, Aemon is there. And so looks like the Greens had a similar idea and they had it earlier. And when Luke starts to state his case, you know, he has a message to deliver. And uh, uh, Boris Baratheon is kind of like... Like you guys are, you guys are reminding me of my obligation. Well, the Greens already sent like basically treats and promises, <laughs> and instead, Rhaenyra is taking the route of reminding them of their promise. Yes, Aemon does a counter offer, <laughs> which is, hey, remember when you like stabbed out my eye when we were kids? What if you stabbed out your own eye right now, and then we'd be even? Boris Baratheon does not want the current king's brother and the rightful queen's son um, trying to murder each other in his hall. So he's like, yeah. not under my roof. And so Luke finally gets out of there and kind of hightails it out to the courtyard. And it's the storm has kicked up and it is super thunder and lightning and rain and scary. But he sort of has no choice. And I thought it was very moving the way he sort of, he talked to his dragon. He basically was trying to get 
uh, his dragon to sort of calm and gentle and listen to him. He did a great job getting the dragon into the air and sort of flying away out of the storm. But of course, Amund is following him on Vagar. And I don't really love the CGI dragons in this show. It's like not my favorite thing about the Game of Thrones world. But I have to say that it was cool to see this dragon fight or this dragon chase. Uh, Vagar yes. is like three or four times the size of Luke's dragon. This is a really interesting sequence for me. And I gather, um, and you can speak to this in a second, Rebecca, but I gather this is tweaked somewhat from, from the book. Um, but the way it plays out on the show is that Aemond, um, who is granted um, kind of a psychopath and a bully, maybe just trying to like sort of spook his nephew, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of buzzing him from above. He ends up forcing him down sort of to fly through this, you know, narrow uh sort of valley between rocks where the larger dragon can't fit, pushing things to the point where Luke could get hurt or killed, but he's not actually going to do it himself because he's got um, either enough of a conscience or enough of a sort of like, you know, sadistic calculating bullies mind to know that it's like better if he can like force this kid to hurt himself rather than actually like attacking him directly. And the problem is, and I think the sequence is actually very effective for reminding us, I mean, these are both basically boys. I mean, Amon is, is, you know, technically past the age of 18, but they are both um, kind of children raised in an environment where they've never had to like, you know, take responsibility for anything they do or or develop a conscience. Certainly like Amon's frontal lobe is not finished growing yet. Then they don't have full control over their dragons. So that was so cool. That was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Luke, um, Luke's dragon, Arax gets a little tired of like, this giant dragon trying to come at him. So he, while Luke sees this coming, goes, no, no, you know, heed me, heed me um, in High Valyrian. Anyway, Arax, you know, lets loose his gout of flame towards Vagar. Not even clear if it hits him. Clearly, he's not going to do too much damage if it does, because Vagar's no. like 12 times his size, but it's enough yeah. to piss Vagar off. Aemon also sees yeah. what's coming and starts yelling um, in English, you know, which I don't think the dragons even are supposed to understand. Um, yeah. You know, no, 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 heed me, heed me, heed me. Um, Vagar's like, yeah, no, that dragon just, uh, like, roasted my toe or whatever I'm at. Now. Right, yeah. And Vagar just like swipes around and basically like bites the dragon in half. Um, I, you'd have oh. to like freeze frame it and check like which little CGI piece is going where. Um, but, yeah. you know, clearly like something is bitten in half and all the various parts in whatever configuration fall into the ocean. Um, oh. Arax and Luke are dead. Shit is fucked at this point. Like there's no, um, there's not going to be any more peace at this point. Like, what do you think Amund is going to say when he goes back? Do you think he's going to claim it? Or do you think he's going to try to describe what happened and, and like, uh, sort of disavow it a little bit? I think the look on his face is really, it's really like, oh, my God, I messed up. You know, this is not like, oh, I'm so glad that my annoying little cousin is dead. Um, It's certainly not a moment of trying to, like, oof. I'm sure he's going to try to spin it. I think everyone at King's Landing knows that he is a liar and a coward in addition to a bully. And so Mm -hmm. they're not going to believe him. But I I think the more important thing is that it's really not going to matter because Rhaenyra's son is dead. You know, she has just lost a child in childbirth. Now she's lost her little son. You know, the last scene of the episode is this is this great sort of silent, um, you know, slowed down, you know, truck through the the kind of great hall, the the map room of Dragonstone, you know, up into her face as she gets the news and she as she turns around, and this is actually um saw an interview with the showrunner where they described this um in the script, but you can see it anyway, even if you even if you haven't seen it, and the phrase is there's war in her eyes. Um, oh yes. Yes. And that's, that's great. That's the end of the season. That look is like all you need to know that like stuff is gonna go yeah. down when we come back. 
But before we get into that, here's another word from our sponsor. And we are back. Uh, so, Rebecca, here we are at the end of season one of House of the Dragon. Um, what do you make of this season as a whole? Where did you come into it? What did you think at the beginning? And how do you think of where we ended up? Felt a little bit like a chore at the beginning. Like, I, I just was, uh, I had a hard time sort of separating people out. I had a hard time finding anyone to really care about. I just didn't understand why we were supposed to care about the Targaryens, which I still somewhat the Targaryens are not my favorite people when it comes to Game of Thrones houses and their like inherent interest to me. I, I may just be stark brainwashed from, from Game of Thrones. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the second season when Jace is at the um, at Winterfell. That'll be very interesting to see. I think once we've settled into the older, especially the older two queens um, facing off against each other, the actresses, I both really, I like watching both of them quite a bit. And I'm excited to see how the dynamic develops. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I feel like we've gotten a bunch of throat clearing done. And obviously the audience for the show has been huge. So it's not like it really affected anybody's like allegiance to this, this series. But I do feel a little bit like this was like a prequel season or something. So in terms of what's going to happen next season and what you're interested in seeing, uh, we didn't talk very much about Damon, everyone's favorite character and what he did in this episode, which was to basically threaten to strangle his wife who just lost a baby in childbirth. Also, he refused to go in to see her when she was calling for him uh, during the birth, uh, which I don't know, maybe he has PTSD from his other wife dying in childbirth, but I don't know. That was kind of a dick move. But it'll yes. be very interesting to see how their marriage develops. That's one thing I'm really excited about. Um, well, the showrunners <laughs> have assured us they are already uh, writing the script for season two. They're going into production uh, some unspecified time soon. And both they and HBO are hoping to get the show back on the air uh, before the end of 2023. Um, so, Rebecca, I hope that neither of us gets flambéed by a dragon before then, and we're able to come back and talk about this then. I would love for both of those things to happen, <laughs> or not happen, as the case may be. That is our show. Please subscribe to the Slight Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions or movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer today is Christy Taiwo-Makanjula. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio at Slate. For Rebecca Onion, I'm Sam Adams. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.